0: Welcome to the Let Us Reason Together broadcast with Pastor-Teacher Dr. James Sutton of Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church. Please stay tuned to the end of the broadcast for more contact information. And now your host, Dr. James Sutton.
1: This is Pastor-Teacher Dr. James Sutton of Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church and Walk in Truth Ministries. I told you I was going to get someone special to come on the show this week. Author, podcaster, Tanika Drake. Uh, she's wrote a book, "The Gift of Finding God's Love," and it's a good book and it's an awesome book and it's about domestic violence. So I have to meet Tanika with me today over the phone, and we're going to interview her and talk about her book. Tanika, say hi to the people.
2: Hi, everyone.
1: Yep. So. Tanika. So how are you doing today so far? I'm doing good. I can't
2: really complain. How are
1: you feeling today? I'm doing fine. Hey, I just want you to uh, tell us about your book and uh, we want to talk about a few chapters and I wanted to get into uh, who you are. So uh, you're Tanika Drake. Uh, What made you uh, decide to write this book on such a subject as domestic violence.
2: Oh my goodness so there was a there was a lot of different things that were going on, particularly in my life when I was thinking about writing a book, and when I had had the transition of moving from Arizona to California. I was searching for something to do with myself because I couldn't work at the time. You know, my children were young. And I wanted to get back into working because I had just, you know, left my job at the state. So I went looking for these business coaches and things like that. And one business coach in particular, Alta Peltzer, um, she was talking to me. And she said, well, why don't you, you know, start working on your story? I was like, writing a book? She's like, well, Yeah. I was like, well, what if the book's going to be, like, super short? She's like, you can make a book, like, with five pages it's still a book. I was like, okay. So she kind of convinced me to write my story, and I was not <laughs> writing it as much as intently as I would love loved to do before because I was procrastinating, and then I was having doubts, like, should I really put it out there because I had never written a book before. So that's kind of how I came around. Full circle to writing it. And I kept persisting
1: until I finished it. Oh, okay. So this is not just a book uh, on theory. This is a book based upon your personal experience with domestic violence.
2: Right. This is based on my actual life. <laughs> Real life.
1: Yes. Real life experience. Well, I want to dive exactly. into your book. And the first sentence out the, out the book on chapter one. Really is interesting and can you explain it says domestic violence tends to be the shameful abuse that happens that nobody talks about. What is the sh- when you said that, where does the shame come from? Well,
2: for me and I, I'm not going to assume for all the women, but for me. I know that I don't want I didn't want people to know what was going on in my in my home. I didn't want people to know that um, some man was whooping on me every day or the perception that she, she can't hold it together at home and, and and you know, they had all these different things out in the media and different movies that show how the woman is always, you know, can't stand up for herself, can't stick up for herself, all this other stuff. So I never wanted to expose my life to anybody so I was kind of dealing with the shame of this happening to me but it's like who could I tell I didn't want to tell family I didn't really want to tell the authorities I definitely want to tell anybody close to me neighbors any I did not want to tell anybody because I was really ashamed of what was happening to me so it it was kind of also embarrassing I didn't want
1: to talk about it so I kept quiet about it (laughs) Did you keep quiet be- for any other reason than shame? Was it was it safer to keep quiet, do you think, for you in particular? Because, you know, I hear some women say, well, I kept quiet because I didn't want to uh, disturb my home or he might act a little bit more violent if the authorities got involved. Was it also a safety reason why you didn't talk?
2: For me particularly, I don't think it was a safety reason because... He was always prone to violent behavior, so that wasn't going to help me either way. But I had, for me, it was more of the, my my faith and family because some of my family members had already told me they had a very strong feeling that I should have never got with this man. That, And so, of course, I would be turned around to say, well, I told you so, you know, so I was dealing with, okay, I can't tell him that, so let me just deal with it, because I married him, I need to stick with it, and then I was thinking on the other side with my faith that I had always been taught that, you know, you selected this person, you married this person till death, do you part, you need to stay, no matter what happens, you're supposed to stay, do you remember your vows, you know, so, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, I can't just up and... You know jump ship because i'm supposed to stick in this thing i'm supposed to ride this thing you know to the wheels fall off so to speak
1: so wow so in the faith in, in our faith of christianity we know that the bible tells us that we should stick with our husband or wife if they want to stay with us and it's always been a controversy in christendom to deal with the fact that we have abuse going on inside the body of Christ. And sometimes uh, our women are in a position where they are being abused, but trying to stick to scripture as they have interpreted as to stick and stay inside an abusive relationship. And that really has to be psychologically damaging for you because you love God. You believe in the word of God, but yet and still you're being abused on a daily, weekly, monthly, even hourly basis, and it seems as if there's no relief. So that really has to be damaging psychologically, because you, I, I would, I would suppose that I would be asking, "Oh God, God I'm doing what you say. Where are you? You know, how, where is the relief is going to come from? Uh, did you find relief in your faith, even though it 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 was counterintuitive to what you were going through?"
2: Well, that was what kept me um although it was something that you know it was it was hard to deal with, but at the same time, I knew that's all I really had because if I couldn't go to people, it doesn't matter what people friends family work coworkers, I couldn't turn to anybody else. there was no body to tell, so the only person I knew that I could tell was the good Lord himself, so I had to find my solace in gospel music. I had to find solace in scripture. Even if I had to hide and read it, I had to find that time to go into scripture and read and and cry and read and cry. And it didn't matter. I just still knew that I believed with all my heart and soul. I said, God's got to be here somewhere. Even if I can't feel his presence, even if I don't know, I know that it said his word is true. It has to be true. I had to believe with all my heart that his promises that he put in there, whether I know where they're at or not, I know that he said he'd be faithful. He will not forsake. So I had to believe that. Even though I was going through, I said I had to believe that even though this person who's being so evil and vindictive and revengeful. Every time I'm trying to do something positive, I had to believe that with all my strength that he's going to bring me out some way, some form, in some time. But I kept saying, you know, in his time, and I would just go and open my Bible, and I would sometimes sit in that closet on the floor, late nights, one, two, in the morning, reading close that door and just crying while I'm reading and say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're saying, but let me read from Psalms. Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're saying. Let me go check Isaiah. Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're saying. Let me go get something the Proverbs. It didn't matter. I was reading, I was praying, I was reading and praying and that's what
1: kept me was my faith. Okay. Amen. <laughs> amen. On your second chapter, you named it the do Nots. What, 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 what does that mean? Well, the do-nots
2: is the things that if I had someone to tell me would be the things that you do not do, the things that that we would believe that we should do and and we don't. So the different do-nots that I put in there were just things that I had learned through my experience of like, okay, well, this is what you should not do. Do not do this um, if you're in a situation. So those were kind of just the different do nots that I came across while I was going through and it came to me later after I realized how much things that I should have recognized to do but I didn't, didn't have the knowledge at the time until until now
1: huh. so I guess that leads me to our next question it's for on the do nots. so uh, what are some of the signs of domestic violence and those in your do nots. what are some of the signs
2: okay well some of the signs, and you know, signs are different for everyone. But some of the signs, which is one that I did catch early on, and I thought it was a good thing, was there was a, a time when the significant had been calling me, and I thought, you know, no big deal. I didn't return his phone call because I was busy at the time with family, but he was calling incessantly. Um, one call phone call, two, three, four, five, six, seven, back to back to back to back to back, was calling often, and my younger sister, at the time, she was with me, because we were checking out an apartment, actually, and she looked at my phone, and was like, why is he calling so much, doesn't he know just to leave you a message, and you'll get back to him, I was like, oh, he just cares a lot, but had I known that that was a sign of control, had I known there was a sign of... Of a possessive behavior, then I would have realized, oh, red flag, that's not him giving me a loving gesture that he really, really wants to talk to me. That's control of where you're at. You're not answering your phone when I call you to answer. That's what that was. And I didn't realize that that was a red flag. I just thought he was just calling left because he really liked me. But
1: that wasn't what that was. Wow. So one of the signs of what I hear you saying is that controlling spirit. Yes. That person who wants to control every aspect of your life, and then and exactly. then yeah. Now, can you give me some examples of abuse? I know we have the physical kind, and you know, seem like that's a lot that really we concentrate on. But aren't there other kinds of abuse that we may need to be aware of? Now, and again, in this domestic abuse, I want to say that it, men can be abused the same way correct? Yes, yeah. Of course they can. They're just not normally abused in this way, but what are some of the other uh, kinds of abuse? Okay,
2: well, um, one of them, another one is uh, verbal abuse, and that's a lot of name-calling and um, being berated, belittled, degraded, um, talked about poorly, and just cussed out all kinds of just verbal attacks. So, That's another type of form of abuse, which that happened to me all the time. So even when physical abuse is not happening, the verbal abuse will continue. You know, if you don't do something right, you know, the first thing out of the person's mouth, you're a bee or you're so stupid. And are you got your mind together? All kinds of things that the person can say to you that is always going to be messing with you, which also plays into the mental and emotional abuse which there are slightly different but they both come underneath the psychological umbrella because the mental is your intellect the emotion is your feeling and how you feel not just at the time but in general so when that person is belittling you verbally then you're getting your emotions hurt and that's affecting your intellect like is this what I'm supposed to be feeling, and you're kind of sick and guessing yourself and doubting yourself, unable to make decisions and decisive. All that stuff plays into different kinds of abuses with those specific ones. And then there's also spiritual abuse, which I talked a little bit about that with my faith, mm-hmm. um, not being able to go and worship when you want to or having an argument when you need to worship. There's also spiritual abuse in the church with cultural clergy. That's something different. Um, but for me, my spiritual abuse came when the husband did not want me to go and worship or didn't want me to be reading my Bible. He just wanted to be the center of attention. And then there's digital abuse, which I had um, experienced that as well when there was a, a church a church individual who was trying to help me um, get something together for something I was trying to do. And when I was corresponding with them through email, the husband was actually on His computer or his phone, I don't remember which way it was, but he could see everything that I was typing. As I was typing it, it was going to his device. So as I was typing, he was reading, and then he interjected and told the person, this is my wife, why are you talking to them? So then one of the other church clergy people called me and says, hey, do you know your husband has seen every single thing that you're writing? Every word you click, you punch, he's seeing it, so it's being mirrored. So he could see everything that you were corresponding, everything between the other person. And we weren't speaking about anything um, wrong. It was just him me trying to get resources. But he could see everything. So he felt he needed to inter- interject and say, hey, that's my wife. Boy, I talked to her, blah, 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 blah. And started, you know, cussing that person out. And so digital abuse is, is any kind of digital format where they can monitor your computer activity, your phone activity, anything like that, any kind of technological thing that you would think that you're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but if they're very, um, technologically savvy, you have to watch yourself and you have to be very mindful where you go, um, on the computer because you can be tracked.
1: Okay. And, 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 and these behaviors for you, did it continue, uh, so he was spying on you during the time you were trying to seek help because, again, it's part of that controlling spirit Right. and wanted to right. control everything that you said and everything that you did. What are some exactly. of the myths and misunderstandings about the people have in general that you ran into about being it, being in an abusive relationship? Do you think the society handles it well? One society... And then clergy, do you think society handles abuse? What are some of the myths and misunderstandings about abuse that will come out in your book that we will uh, be able to educate ourselves on?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, that, that's a powerful question and all different kinds of answers. So society handles it. I don't think society handles it very well because women and men, when, when, when men are going through this, They are victim-blamed. It's their fault that whatever's happened to them has happened. Or they should have known better than to get with someone who was domestically violent. Like you're out there looking for that person and you knew that person was domestically violent and you went in, married, or dated that person anyway. So that was your fault because you knew. But they don't understand half the time that while these other organizations are trying to make it clear that that's not the case. And when people think that a domestically... Violent person just comes up to you and they show you automatically that they're gonna start hurting you and be, you know, That's not how it is. That is not how it is because that would not allow anybody who had common sense to go with someone. If you see from the very first blow that person was punching a wall, or they're really aggressive towards you and just yanking you here and this, you wouldn't just want to go into something like that. That's not how it happened for me. It was very subtle, and in the very beginning, none of that even existed. You could have never said he put a hand on me because he didn't. You could never say he was verbally abusive because he wasn't. So all of that stuff was not there. So when I married him, it was almost like a bait and switch. It was mm-hmm. almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. So what wasn't there showed up. So you won't even know. And I had been seeing him for almost two years. So that stuff didn't start to show up till later. Like the little signs that I should have recognized, not there. So the misunderstanding that people just want to jump into the mentally violent situations and they know that they have the knowledge and they went and joined, you know, got into that anyway, that's a big, that's a big deal. And then the other one, I would think that the bad um, perception and misconception is that a woman or a man can just pack up and just leave. That if you're, if you're being abused, just pack your crap and go, it's not that easy. It's not that easy, especially when you're in love with that person. You got emotions tied that way. If you have children, it's even worse. And if you have a job and you have all these things that's tied to it, you stand to lose a lot when you decide that you're going to make that move. So people forget when you make that move, you suffer, you lose. You lose out because you are the one that has to leave. You are the one that has to leave what you have created, what you have worked on. You lose all of that. The other person may not lose anything, but you do. You stand to lose anything. You stand to turn out to be homeless. You stand to have to go to <coughs> and be on resources you were never on before. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions and with clergy, uh, for the church, sometimes depending on what church, because every church is different and every clergy is different. Certain churches have places where you can go and there will be that support for you and they have somewhere for you to talk to them or they have the resources to link you other churches may not be so okay to talk about it i remember i was talking to my therapist and she said that her pastor did not want to talk about domestic violence in his church he didn't want to hear about it he didn't want to know about it he didn't want it so she's like well i can offer you know some assistance to some therapy He's like nope we don't need that here we don't want to talk about that here. So wow. she, she was very saddened that he just shut her down. I was like, no, I don't want it in the church. Don't bring it here. So there's <laughs> there's still some some pastors and some churches that don't want to recognize that that is a problem and it is in their church. They don't want it there. They don't want to talk about it. That's taboo. We don't talk about that.
1: So we don't talk about what's really going on in our congregation, even though we preach to them. And, it, and it's quite interesting, as you know, I've been talking to you over the weeks, uh, since you've been educating me on domestic violence, I found out just from my congregation and a quick survey and some exposure happening when the light has come on about this, I'm up to almost 90% of the women in my church have experienced personally themselves some form of domestic violence from their husband or their boyfriend yes and it's astounding because mm-hmm. because I have in my situation at church as their pastor I have two women serving on a committee together that are best friends and they didn't know about it they they didn't know that each other were they were going through the same thing and because they put on this mask and I guess I want to talk about yeah. that you put on this mask in front of your friends and family how was it the desperation that allowed you to take it off? But how did you end up taking it off? Or are you still wearing a mask at times?
2: No, I I think, you know, the mask, which was, you know, when people call her, you ask that generic question, how are you doing? And so it's, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And my family would call all the time throughout this entire marriage I was in. They would call all the time. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good. So I would never let on that anything was happening (coughs) at the the very beginning of my marriage. But I never let him on to let him know that there was any issue. I said, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. So it wasn't until, you know, seven, eight years later down the line when it got bad. So it wasn't even a matter of desperation. It was really a matter of life and death because it could have got so severe that I was not going to be able to be breathing anymore. And my kids would be left without a mom. It was that point that I knew, like, this is enough. You can't handle this anymore. The way you've been handling it, and you've been taking the blows, you've been been taking the throws, you've been taking taking so much, but now it's time to stop taking, because now this is escalated to a point where this person can take your life, and then you're not coming back from that. There's Mm -hmm. no more telling everybody, it's fine, it's good, we'll be burying you. So, I couldn't. That was it. I had to say something to somebody, and then it's just like, I had to bust open the lid and just like yeah I haven't been okay for a long time and here's what's really going on so then that's when everything started shifting you know
1: Yes, and and, and like I said it was so astounding because one of the ladies at our church has told me to my shock that she's been in this abuse this verbal psychological uh, emotional abuse for 15 years yes That is a long time to be in the situation where you're being abused. And her display to keep her sanity was to rebel. Uh, She's she's married to the abuser, so he's not putting his hands on her. But her answer was, I'm going to rebel at every chance I get to keep my sanity. So on one instance, I'm looking at somebody who was you know, worship leader, leader in the church. But then on the other hand, I found out that this person would go home and have to be a totally different person at home in order to protect herself and keep her sanity that didn't match the way she would portray herself in church. To the point her husband actually thought that he could tell on her to me and show me different things which disturbed me. But what I understood was this was part of control mechanism. I'm going to tell your (laughs) pastor about you because you're not following scripture. And I kind of laughed because I'm like, you're not saved, but you want to use the beautiful part of the scripture to abuse your wife. Yeah. (laughs) And because she loves God, you know Ephesians chapter chapter 5 verses 22 to 28 and you want to use that for your wife to obey you, no matter what you do to her, and exactly. I told, and you know right. and I told him that you can't uh, you're you're not in a position to use the scripture against one of God's children. you know I am still as a pastor trying to reconcile this out, but I think at some point the rubber does meet the road, and you need to get out yes, exactly you do. I mean, like that. because she was, a, you know, it's one of those things where as, as much joy that she had in church, as she got closer to home, she would have to, almost like a metamorphosis and change. Yeah. And a lot of the women in my church are telling me that they go through that some form of fashion. You know, some mm. husbands just are, has checked out. They don't, you know, have any relationship with their wives at all, so... The abuse is neglect. You know, you, they got a life. the Wife has a life. Her life has church. He doesn't want no part of it. And they have no life at home. They don't even really talk to each other. Just complete neglect. Physical and emotional. Which I think I saw in your book that one of the signs is that you might have this physical and emotional neglect going on along with trying to control you. <clears throat> right. You know, or you will have this over sex uh, drive. That will try to control you. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. One, you're not getting any attention. And the other one, you're getting so much attention and he's trying to control you through that. And these women, they use it against you later. Yeah, to lose, use it against you later. Um, uh-huh. And I thought that was quite interesting in your book. And then uh, you wrote about a poem, A Wife's Pain. Could you read that to us? A Wife's Pain?
2: Yes, I can. Okay. A wife's pain. The expectation of a wife, I never knew. I believed a wife cooking and cleaning is all she had to do. A wife's pain takes more burdens than she can bear. Keeping the kids clean and making their rooms, I was assumed that was more to do without a broom. A wife's pain takes more burdens than she can bear. Am I to believe that a duty of a wife is to surrender her rights? The husband makes rules she must follow. Is that right? She is to be his sexual muse whenever he pleases. She should be able to be his emotional garbage can whenever it suits him. The wife must remain attractive. No opinions. Do not be disrespectful and tend everyone's needs. A wife's pain takes more burdens than she can bear. Why do you cry, wife? Your tears do not move anyone to care. You are not worthy of empathy or sympathy. Your story is a made-up lie you tell for a pity party. A wife's pain takes more burdens than she can bear. I suffered in silence. I suffered in shame. Though this one fact remains, Jesus was there through every tear. Jesus was there through every blow. Jesus was there through you being called all those terrible names, a wife's burden, a wife's pain me, takes more burdens than she can bear. Jesus said, "My child, don't you see the burdens you bear are for me. Cast your cares on me because a wife's pain, your burdens, you will bear no more.
1: Amen, amen. And that's one I'm have you read another poem in a minute. Uh, but that was, that's an awesome word, uh, because you are bearing a burden and I guess to, to keep yourself grounded in Christ, you have to look at it as part of the suffering that's conforming you into his image, even though it's, it's a heinous abuse. And I guess Jesus took on a heinous abuse and I don't want to just chalk it up to that, but you had to do that turn to God to maintain your sanity. True. I did. Yeah, I did. In, in chapter five, you talked about the, the the title chapter is the transition period, waiting, and watering season. What is what's chapter five about?
2: Chapter five is essentially what when I got here, moving in with my family, and a whole bunch of waiting for. A place waiting for a move, waiting for change, and then watering is nurture. Well, I was nurturing myself. I was watering myself with getting help and resources. So I needed to replenish what had been damaged, what had been sucked out. The life had been drained out of me. So I needed to replenish and find organizations and resources to fill me back up and let me help me to find myself. Cause I had lost myself. I had lost bits and pieces of myself. The person I used to be, the things I used to like sucked out. So I needed to be getting watered again and having that time to wait for all these different things that were happening. It was a big transition. All of it
1: was happening at once. All of it was happening at once. Hmm. Wow. So, what advice in the watering phase would you give the season where you're trying to refine yourself and maybe even redefine yourself now that you're moving forward out of the situation? Um, Are people, do you see, well, let me ask this a different way. (laughs) Do you see people as being kind or apathetic when it comes to domestic violence and you telling them or seeking help? In general well the I, general public do okay you?
2: for for me
1: uh-huh for me,
2: I, I see people most of the time being very sympathetic i haven 't come across a person who's been apathetic towards me and my situation. most of the time, I have a sympathetic ear i've had people who even sometimes can empathize with me, and if like i've been there, I, I understand, but through it all, everyone has seen. And been able to step up and try to help even organizations that aren't typically the ones that want to help you. Uh, they will step up and say, we would like to do whatever we can to assist you in a way that we can help you. However you need us, we're here for you and your children. So that that was kind of um, a shock for me because I always felt for myself when I was going through this the entire time. I felt it was nobody's business but my own to take care of it because I got myself in it, so I need to handle it. And I found that to be, um, with the question that you presented, that the sympathy and the sympathetic ear started at my job before I had left. That was one of the first places I start shown to me with so much power, so much empowerment towards me. My manager had given me. You know, such a strong shoulder just to say, look, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. But sometimes you got to go back to move forward. And as she sat there in her office saying, look, I can do it. I started over. You'll be able to start over and you'll be better for it. It'll make you a stronger woman because of this. But don't try to stay here and hold on to this job. You got to get out of here just so you can be the better woman that you're supposed to be. And same thing with my supervisor. And when I found that, I told her as well, and she had been through the misadventures as well. I didn't know any of these women had been through it because I was being quiet, going to work, doing my job. And when I was told that the supervisor wanted to talk to me and she had understood what I was going through, and she was telling me, you know what? you can do it. If I made it through, you can do it too. You'll make it. She's like, but family's going to help you through this. You got to need family right now. And even though I didn't want to go back to my family because I was like, you know what, I'm an adult. I should be able to handle all this stuff on my own and not be going back begging for them to help me. She's like, no, you need them. You need them right now. This is the time you need them. So I found a lot of people being very, very sympathetic and Just having a caring attitude, not like how I was feeling about myself, they were very, very understanding. And I was just like, well, I just figured, you know, this was my problem. She's like, what did you think the state was going to do? Just sit there and watch you go through abuse? I was like, yeah, it was my problem. She's like, no, that's not how it works. We're not going to sit by and watch it happen to one of our employees. So I was it was kind of a shock for, for me to hear them say that, you know, about me
1: amen amen i'm interviewing sister tanika drake she has a great book that's out and i suggest everybody get it i think this should be in every first responder's car it's a short book but it's definitely a good book about domestic violence and how to survive the book is named the gift of finding god's love and i just thank her for this and tanika what i want to do is you are a survivor i can hear it in your voice You have made it, and you're making it continuously. This is an ongoing process. You're you're not completely out yet, are you?
2: No, I'm not completely out yet. There is the rest of the saga.
1: Amen, part two. (laughs) And we'll get to that at another time. But what I want you to do is the poem, I survived, I am alive. I think that's what you want to convey to people like you just said. You will be okay if you seek help and help is there. And I think this book will help those. And already I could say in my church, I passed the copy you sent me and I bought some copies. And uh, it's really a hot topic now at the church amongst the women in the church. And the men are listening also because some of the men are engaged and they just don't want to end up like that. And maybe they see some of themselves, some of the things they say now maybe abusive you know and uh, we've been studying that in the scriptures uh, where it talks about nourishing and cherishing and and sanctifying and sacrificing uh, what a man's role is in trying to understand his mate not abuse his mate but understand his mate and because she is a fellow joint heir to the grace and the mercies of god so now, what I want you to do is, let's read this poem, because I think it's a, it's a, you have some good poems. Let's read this poem. Go ahead. Okay. I
2: survived, I am alive. You thought I would never leave because of the fear. I survived, I am alive. You thought I would not go because I loved you so. I survived, I am alive. Truth be told, I always wanted to go. I survived, I am alive. Your control and possession is done. I survived, I am alive. My children watched how you hurt me time and time again. I survived, I am alive. You said I am too ugly to find anybody else. I survived, I am alive. You said you loved me and found others to love as well. I survived, I am alive. I never knew I could be raped by a person I trusted. I survived. I am alive. You choked me in an attempt to stop my life. I survived. I am alive. God has kept me all these years. He will continue to keep me. I am no longer afraid because I survived. I am very
1: alive. Amen. The gift of finding God's love, guilt, and shame turn into my shine. I'm on the phone with uh, Sister Tanika Drake. She's an author and a podcaster. I want uh, the people to know, uh, Sister Tanika, where can they get the book and where they can listen to your podcast and what's the name of your podcast.
2: Okay, so the book, you can get on uh, Barnes & Noble for the paperback, and you can also get the digital copy of the book um, on Amazon. And the name of my podcast is called God's Gift Through His Word on Anchor, and Spotify, and all the different podcast platforms.
1: Amen. Uh, where can they email you if somebody wanted to email you and discuss this uh, This this subject of domestic violence some more, because uh, I I think you're going to have, once people read this book, they're going to want to talk to you and and hopefully uh, meet you and listen to you. Um, Where could they email you or get in touch with you if they needed to get in touch with you?
2: Okay. Well, we can go with my email with my first name, Tanika Mm -hmm. at T E N. I-E-C-K-A at gmail.com also they can find me on Instagram if they want to do a DM on Instagram under Tanika Drake and also you can find me Tanika Drake on Facebook so you can message me there as well
1: Amen the gift of finding God's love guilt and shame turned into my sign, my shine, I'm sorry this is uh, Sister Tanika Drake author and podcaster along with Pastor Dr. James Sutton Uh, Thank you Tanika for taking the time and coming on my show I pray that others will listen, get in touch with you and definitely order the book. It has enlightened me educated me and got me to see some things that I did not know that existed in my congregation and I'm sure that my congregation is not any different than anybody else's congregation. That domestic violence is real and we need to look at it and we need to find some way to be in a position to help those who are going through domestic violence inside of our church, female and male alike. But I think this book starts the conversation and because of what you've been through, I can look forward to helping those become survivors and ones we are going to shine even the more once they come out of this, on the other end of this domestic.
0: Thank you for listening in today to Let Us Reason Together broadcast with Dr. James Sutton. You may send letters of prayerful support and your tax deductible financial gift to Walk in Truth, 7852 Milan Avenue, St. Louis, Missouri, 63130. If you are in need of prayer or would like to contact the ministry, call us at 314-629-0024. You can also visit the ministry website at www.walkintruthministries.com or email us at witmin at yahoo.com. And be sure to check us out on Walk in Truth Ministries on Facebook and Walk in Truth Radio SoundCloud. Be sure to tune in next week for another thought-provoking broadcast from Let Us Reason Together.